welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter seven as we continue our series through the gospel of Matthew the Savior King and His Kingdom as we go through this section, the Sermon on the Mount. And we looked at the Beatitudes, certain attitudes that we as, as subjects of Christ's kingdom, we ought to have certain attitudes. And the Beatitudes laid out those, those attitudes that we ought to have. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it gives us a series of many principles that are foundational to the kingdom. If you wanna, you wanna live, in, a, in Christ's kingdom the way that you should, there are certain principles that we ought to establish and, and, and live out in our lives. And we've been looking through them as we've gone through that. So far, we've looked at 12 of those principles, and we're going to get one more this morning. If you were looking for a, an uplifting and exciting, a cheery kind of a message, not this morning. I'm guessing this one might be a little convicting to some people. I already talked to a couple people about it, and they, were, and they left because they just couldn't take any more of it. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Only one of them did. No, we're all good. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. This is a really important topic, and it's so important because most of us don't do this right, and, and I'm, I'm counting myself in it as well, is that it, it is a struggle that we have because the natural part of us wants to do this differently. And we so quickly jump into the natural reaction rather than the spiritual response. And so it's really important that we get this one. So let's pray and then we'll look at it. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We ask, Lord God, that, uh, that you administer our hearts as we get into this text, this topic that, that is very, very important to us um, because it deals with how we relate to one another. And, and it, when we do this well, oh, it is sweet, it is beautiful. But when we do it wrong, it's ugly. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to get, get this right in our heart. That when we gather together like this, when we come together in this place to do this thing, it ought to be glorifying to you, blessing to each other, and help us all to grow in our faith. And so often when we come, we bring some really unfortunate baggage with us. And so I pray, help us to lay all that stuff down for a minute that we might hear from your spirit and know what you would say to your church. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start this morning with a verse that may be the verse that's most frequently quoted by unbelievers to believers. So let's look at it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not 
that you be not judged. Now, it's not uncommon when a believer talks about spiritual things to a, an unbeliever. An unbeliever is, you know, they don't believe, and so they may or may, they probably are doing things that God would say, you know, I don't really care for that. And if a believer happens to mention that God doesn't care for those things, you know, the unbeliever is, you know, quick to pull this verse out. Hey, 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 do not judge. Do not judge. First, nowhere in the Bible does it say to us that believers should not judge unbelievers. Nowhere. But, it also tells us that we don't have to. In John three sixteen through 18, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Somebody say hallelujah, amen. amen. We love that verse. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him, but that the world through him might be saved. Praise God. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, is not judged slash condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We don't have to judge unbelievers because they are already judged. They don't need our judgment. What do they need? Our pity and our love. That's what they need. We don't need to judge them. Most of them already know. Something in them tells them that, you know what, I'm not right with God. Now, a large percentage of them will say, I'm okay with that. But the rest of them, they just have this sense in them because God has put it in them that they are not his and that there is a problem with that. And that problem is eternal judgment. We don't have to judge them, but we do have to love them. And we, we should feel pity for them because they're lost and many of them have no idea how to be unlost. They have no idea what to do about it. They have no way or desire. Most of them don't have a desire, but they have no idea how to, how to change their circumstances. They need our love and pity. Second, and more importantly, is the context of this prohibition has nothing to do with unbelievers. It's all about believers. Believers with other believers. It's all about our relationship one to another. When he's saying do not judge, what he's saying judge not, he's saying to you do not judge another believer. Do not judge believers. That you may not, that you be not judged. Verses three, four, and five all use the term your brother. Every time you see that term in the, in the New Testament, you got to understand what he's talking to. He's talking about your brother is not your biological brother, but your spiritual brother, someone who also is in Christ. If they're in Christ, they are your brother, your sister. If you see brother, you can also substitute sister. We like sisters too. So brothers and sisters, we, we, it's all of that is applies. He's saying that's who he's speaking to in this. So the context has to be between two believers or, or, or groups of believers. So kingdom principle number 13 is don't be judgmental with believers. Now, I, I know I'm speaking to a group of people that you never do this, right? Say, yes, I do. Come on. Go ahead, admit it. We all do it. All of us do it. I do it. 
It is a natural thing we do. We, it is our natural default response to when, when, whenever something happens, we just naturally default to judging. Little bit about my own experience with this is I am not empathetic. When, when you come to me with your problems, I don't feel them. When you share what's going on with me, when I, my first ministry position, I was, a, I was pastor over a children's ministry, a large children's ministry, and we had 100 plus um, volunteers, almost all women, right? And, and you put a whole bunch of women together and women do women things against women. It was like, it was like there was one drama after another. And they would bring their dramas to me, and I would just, okay, okay, I got it. Now, now do this. And, and, and they're, they're crying, and they're, you know, doing all these things, and I, I wouldn't do it. I got the nickname Pastor Grinch. <laughs> because I wouldn't show, I, I didn't show emotion. And there were people accused me, and later on, I was accused of not caring. I don't, I don't, Rick doesn't care about me, or this thing, or that thing. That wasn't true. I just didn't show it. But they judged my behavior as meaning something that it didn't mean. We do that all the time. We do it all the time. We look at someone and we make a judgment of them. We say this about that person. You know, you know John is bald. John hates hair. You know, or, yeah, or, or, or we'll, yes, we'll, we'll, you know, I don't know, we'll pick something and we'll, we'll identify something and then we'll, then we'll create this evil attached to it that has no bearing in reality. You know, you know, that person, that person didn't talk to me when they came in. They didn't say hi to me when they came in. They're mad at me. That's a judgment. It's not right. It's Sin. And we all do it. You know, we, we, we just pick something. We, and, we, and, and, and I'm guessing most of us have probably done it this morning. Something has happened. Somebody said something. Somebody's done something. Or somebody's not done something. Or somebody's not said something. That person didn't whip me, wish me happy Father's Day. They hate fathers. You know, we, we have to understand what this is trying to tell us because it's so important to us. You know, some interpret this verse as meaning that Christians should never judge another Christian. That's not, that's not what it means. And we're gonna get into it specifically what it means because if that's what it meant, Jesus would have violated this, his own command repeatedly. In verse five, he's gonna refer to Christians who are judgmental as hypocrites. What is that? A judgment. He's judging. There, there is a place for judging. But more often than not, we're doing it the wrong way. There's always a, a carnal, fleshly way of doing it or a spiritual way of doing it. Which one do you think is the right one? The spiritual one. Too often we default to the, to the fleshly, to the carnal response. What does it mean to judge? 
Well, the definition is to form a critical opinion of something, either positive or negative, by examination or scrutiny. Now, a careful examination of that definition will explain to you why most of us are doing it wrong. Because we're not examining it. We're not, we're not scrutinizing it. And we're not trying to, to discern if it's evil or good. We almost always default to which one? Evil, don't we? Almost always. If somebody does or says something that, that we kind of wonder about, don't we almost always default? Oh, 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 oh. We get all puffed up and whatever. It's not right. Christians are called to make judgments. 1 Thessalonians 4 1 says this test all things, hold fast what is good. Test all things. Another word for test could be judge. Judge all things to look at them, examine them. Is it good or is it bad? Is it evil or is it righteous? Is it wrong or is it right? We, we're called to do that, we're commanded to do that. And then 1 John 4 1 says this Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. What's a false prophet? False prophet is someone who says they are speaking on behalf of God. I, I come as a prophet of God. And, and, you know, and they're expecting you to believe them. And what John is saying to us, no, 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 hold on, hold on, test them. Judge them. Examine them, scrutinize what they're saying, compare it to what God has already said and what the Spirit of God is saying and make sure that they are true prophets and not false prophets. Judgment must take place if we're gonna determine true from false, right from wrong, evil from righteousness. We have to judge. It's my expectation. If you're going to sit here and listen to these sermons, you're going to keep putting up with it, I'm expecting you to judge them, to evaluate them, to compare them to what the Word of God says. Is it true? Just because I say it, that doesn't, that doesn't automatically mean that it's true. You have a responsibility before God to not allow anything into your heart that is not true. And when you hear a message, you must allow the Spirit of God built upon the Word of God to make sure that what it is that you're being told is true. Not just that it feels true. Not that, you know, it's a good illustration that, that makes it sound true, but that in fact it is true. That's your responsibility. What Jesus is speaking against here is a judgmental spirit. A spirit that is always looking for the wrong. Always looking for the evil. Always looking for division and contention and, and these different things. Always looking for a reason why I need to not like or not accept or whatever. Somebody's always looking for faults in others. You know, and, and there's, there's reasons why we do it. I mean, most of us have run across people that are just, they're just doing wrong things. And they do wrong things to us. You know, if, if somebody offends you in some way, 
your natural inclination is to believe they're going to do it again. And not only them, anybody that's like them is going to do it again. That's just the way we are. I just start looking at everybody. You know, if they've got a bald head, they're going to be just like John. Just like John. There, Andy, he's another, another bald head back there. He's going to be just like John. Is that right? That's judgment. That's, that's carnal judgment. Listen, all of our, when we judge, we must default to the spiritual as much as we possibly can. And we recognize, one of the things we have to recognize, you know, God judges, right? We, we acknowledge that God judges. Do you know why he can do it? Because he's perfect. He knows everything. And he is holy and righteous and, and everything there is, all the character and characteristics and nature of God makes him the only person qualified to make judgments. Which one of us is that qualified? None. That's why we have to be so careful. Now, there is a place for judgment. We're going to talk about that. But the reality is that we have to be very careful, recognize that we need to control ourselves. When we start, when we start, when those thoughts start coming in our mind, we need to do something with them. A critical person or a hypercritical person is looking for faults in others. And then when he sees one or one that he perceives to be a fault, he always imagines an evil attached to it, a wickedness, a sin attached to it. There's a wicked motivation that, you know, they're, you know, they're, you know that, you know, that, you know, you know, that whatever they've done, they've done because they're, they're, they want to, they want to harm me. They want to, you know, they think they're better than me. They, you know, they, all these different ways we imagine that, you know, that they're doing this. The reason why we're, we're, we're ascribing their motivation. What's the problem with that? You don't know. You're assuming you're assuming that you know what their motivation is. You're assuming you know what they're, what's going on inside of their heart. You're assuming that you know what that is. When that person cuts you off on the road, you're assuming that's a rude, nasty person. You don't know that. You don't know anything about them. You know they made a mistake. You know they did something that you don't approve of, but you don't know what their motivation is. And we ascribe evil to that. We're taking the place of God. That's not our place. Not our place. If we were to ask, if we were to do a survey, which do you think God would want us to use our imagination for? To imagine the worst in people? To imagine the best in people? The best. Yeah, that's what he would, he would have us default to imagining the best in people. To imagine, to try to see them in the best possible light. To, to, you know, we're told to esteem others better than ourselves. Okay, you can't be judgmental to them and be esteeming them as better than yourself, right? Does that make sense? You know, if we're going to be judgmental toward them, then we are esteeming them as less than us. And, then, and very often, that's our motivation. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be better than them, at least in my own heart and mind. Jesus is going to go on to say that there is a consequence for being judgmental um, with other believers here in verse 2. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The point here 
is he's saying we ought to be merciful in the way that we judge. If we're going to be judging, and we're going to look, and, and there is a, again, there's a place. If, if, there is, if there is a reason to judge something as good and bad, and, we, and we, we're called to do that, we're, we're commanded to do that, to judge what is right and what is wrong, but when we're going to do that with another person, then, then we need to, our default position should be on the side of mercy. How do I show them mercy in this? Be merciful with others to the same degree that you want God to be merciful with you. Ooh, how much mercy do you want from God? All of it. I want all of his mercy. In the future, there will be two judgments. We call them judgments where the eternal fate of all humanity will be determined. All humanity will be divided into two groups. And we see that described in Scripture as the, as the separating of the goats and the sheep. The goats are those who have rejected God and have rejected the, the, the hope that we have in heaven, rejected salvation in Jesus Christ, have, have despised Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Those who have rejected God, they are the goats and they will be separated to the left, the Bible says. The sheep are those who have received Christ, those who have accepted God, those who have done their best in this life to walk in a way that glorifies God, blesses others, and grows faith. The Bible tells us that there is going to come a time when the unbelievers will be judged, and they'll be judged for their sins. Their sins will be weighed, and the, the, the amount or the measure or the however God evaluates the the. the severity or measure of sin, and they will receive an eternal consequence for that sin. Tragic, terrible, horrible, something we should never wish on any human, even the most horrible human on earth, we should not desire that for them. Because nothing we imagine will even come close to what it is. That's not for them. But believers will also experience a judgment. We will also stand before God, stand in, in the presence of Christ, and we'll receive a judgment, but not for our sins. We're so thankful. We should be so thankful. We should every day, especially when we come together, we gather together, we remind ourselves when we do communion, remind ourselves that Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he paid my, my, my penalty. He took my penalty. He took my judgment with him to the cross. That when God looks upon me, he, it's as if he's looking upon the perfection of his son because Jesus took away every reason why God should judge me. There is no judgment because there's nothing for left for God to judge because Jesus took it all. Somebody say it. Amen. Hallelujah. That's a glorious thing. It sets us free. The judgment we face in this life as a result of this life will be for the works we did, the things that we did. And in those, that judgment, our motivation will be evaluated. Because, you know, God knows why you do everything you do, right? You do something, even if it's a good thing, God knows why you did it. And that impacts, that affects 
the, the ultimate reward that you get for it. And the Bible says some very interesting things about that. One of the things it says that our, our works will pass through the fire. And those that are good works will survive the fire. But those that are not good, they're going to be burned up as if they never happened. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11 says this, for we must all, who is all? All, y'all, uh, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. When we're, we're in this body, this physical body, we're gonna receive something. There's, gonna, there's going to be a reward for those things according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He's going to look at them. Some of the things that we're doing today are not good. Some of the things we may do in this life are not good. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to your consciences, that we have to have this fear of God. And try, we must try to imagine ourselves standing before Christ. When we have these things that we're doing, when I do this thing, I mean, like what I'm doing right now, I, I, would, I would like to believe this is a good work that I'm doing right now. I'm sharing the word of God with the people of God by the spirit of God, and I'm trying to do it to the best of my human ability for no other reason than because it, that's what God calls me to do, and it will bring glory to him, and hopefully will bless you. That's why I'm doing it. But someday, I'm gonna stand before Jesus, and he's gonna look at this today and say, okay, let's look at your heart, Rick. In this time, was your heart pure? Was your heart right when you did that? Or were you trying to make a name for yourself? Were you trying to be famous? Were you trying to, you know, whatever. Whatever weird motivation sometimes people use for these kinds of things. I don't know because I don't, I try not to do those things. But if it's not right, it'll burn up as if it never happened. I'm one of those kinds of people, I don't like wasting things. I don't want to waste my life. I want my life to be a value. I want it to, I want it to change things. I, I, was, I was sharing with someone this morning. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to get to heaven. And I want to see that my life mattered. That, that what the things that I did on this earth mattered. I was, I was at something this week. And, um, and I, I was talking with a pastor of a church. And uh, he, was, he introduced me to someone else, and, and, and he says to this person here, this is Pastor Rick, he is the reason why I'm in ministry. I'm thinking like, okay, that caught me off guard. I, I wasn't even, I didn't even, I hadn't even thought of this guy in this way. And, and, and then it just, started to, it just started to flood over me. The, the, whatever ministry I did with this man is now affecting a whole church full of people. That matters. That's a glorious thing. The things that we do on this earth matter to God. But we have to do them for the right reason. Jesus is saying that hypercritical people, people that are criticizing and looking for faults and judging people with the flesh and the carnal judgments, most of those people are going to have their works burned up. It's not going to matter what you did. 
If you, if you do these good works, but your, your, your attitude is critical of those people, maybe that you're serving, you know, you know, I'm doing this, but you know, I, you know, I fill up the coffee pot and you know, I fill up the, you know, the, the thing with the coffee pots and people just use them up. That makes me so mad. Okay, you need to be in a different ministry. You know, you know, the, you know the people are messy. You know, you know, that's not the right attitude. That's not what servants do. You know what servants do? They serve. Who are they serving? Not you. Not the church. They're serving God. That's how we should be. You go, you see that messy, messy coffee set up over there? Oh, I get to serve God and clean this up. It's not that bad, but you know, we, we, there's an eternal consequence to everything we do, good or bad. And we need to look at everything that we do in that way. And we've got to be so careful because a critical attitude can ruin it all. Now, you're going to go to heaven. That's great. But there's rewards there that we get to enjoy for all eternity. I want all of those. And if I can change my attitude so that I'm not critical of others, it will help with that. Well, not only is there an eternal consequence, there's also a temporal consequence. There's a consequence in this life to a critical attitude. And that consequence is broken fellowship with God. A critical spirit, a critical attitude is sin. It's sinful. And if you're living with this critical spirit and you're criticizing, you're critiquing and judging people using the flesh, then you cannot be in the intimacy with God that he desires for you, that he created you for. And so we need to break that critical spirit so that we can walk in the intimacy that we should with God. Very often, and see, here's the thing, that, that typically a critical spirit may not even be noticeable to most people. They may not even see it in you, but it's in you. And it's affecting not just you, but your relationship with God. I've heard people say, I'm not critical. I'm a fruit inspector. You know, we, all of our works, right? You know, God refers to our works as fruit. We should be producing fruit in our lives. And so I'm a fruit inspector. Well, here's the problem with that. You know the fruit you're supposed to inspect? The fruit going into your basket. Not, the whole, not all the fruit in the whole supermarket. You're not called to go and check. Let me, Lionel, I'm going to look at the fruit in your basket. Let me see the fruit in your basket. I'm going to let you know if it's good or bad. That's not your place. Be kind, be right. Have this, this non-critical spirit. It's contrary to God's nature and you cannot have intimacy with God if you're spending all of your time critiquing and criticizing and evaluating everybody else's walk with the Lord. This, that's the point here in these next three, two verses. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. There are some of these verses 
Some of these texts, I wish there was a video version of it. I would love to have seen Jesus say these words because there is a, there's a sarcasm and almost comical expression here of this illustration, you know, a speck, a, a speck of dust, you know, a speck of dust in your, in your brother's eye, you know, and you've got this, and the word plank there, it, it could also be translated as beam, like, the, like a beam in a house, a giant piece of wood. I can, you almost imagine Jesus picking up this piece of wood that's almost bigger, you know, too big for him to actually carry and holding it up and say, hey, let me, let me check that speck in your eye. A speck here is, a, is some perceived weakness or fault or error in someone. Is there anyone around that we could not find specks in their life? No. If I look close enough at anyone's life, I'll find a speck or two or three or four and 12. All of us could do it. If we look hard enough, we'll find something. Jesus is saying that before we attempt to do it, and I'm going to tell you in a minute, he is actually telling us to do it. But before we attempt to do it, we got to deal with our own junk first. We got, we got our own planks that we're carrying around, our own sin, our own failings, our own weaknesses, our own errors that we're doing, that we have. And he's saying, you ought to deal with those before you deal with anyone else. Before you go to help anyone else, you got to deal with yourself. That requires humility. Jesus gives a solution here in chapter 5. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We must be discerning in our relationship with others. We have to be able to discern. We have to be able to look and see the right from the wrong, the good from the wicked, the, you, know, the, you, know, what's, you know, what's happening. We have to see what, what, is, what is right and good. God calls us to that, and he calls us to that because he's calling all of us to be involved in each other's lives to draw us all into a deeper relationship with God and further along on the path toward holiness. He wants us all to be more holy, and he wants us to help each other to do it. But you can't do it with a judgmental spirit. And you can't do it if you're dragging around your own beams, carrying around with it, you know, just holding it up as I'm walking around. I've got my beam. I'm going to go help out Larry over here. Oh, i got my beam in my hand. Knock him out as I try to get that speck out of his eye. Before we judge others, we must judge ourselves. Turn to John chapter 8. John 8. You know, you know the, the principles, none of them, none of them stand alone. And, and all of the principles are built upon the Beatitudes. And, and the first Beatitude is one that could really help in this. First Beatitude, Matthew 5, 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, those in poor in spirit, if you, if you remember, because it was only like four months ago, if you, those who are poor in spirit are those who are honest about who they are. In accordance with God, in comparison to God and his word, they're honest and, they're, and they recognize how far they are from God. 
I am not very close. I am, I, am, I am not perfect. I am not holy. I am not righteous. I may be moving in that direction, but I have a long ways to go. They're honest with God. We see ourselves as we actually are. And when we can see ourselves as we are, we're better able to see others as they are. R. Kent Hughes said, Jesus does not Jesus does want us to discern the sins and shortcomings in others, but he wants us to see them through clear, self-judged eyes, eyes that are tender and compassionate. One problem with a judgmental spirit is it is rarely tender and compassionate, right? Would you acknowledge that? A judgmental spirit is often harsh, is, is, is unkind, Jesus illustrated this principle for us in a beautiful way in John chapter 8 with the account of the woman caught in adultery. In John 8 verse 3 it says this, And the scribes and Pharisees brought, him, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act while it was going on. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? They, they, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those who accusers of yours has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She was guilty. She was, she was caught in the very act of adultery. She was guilty. Those who brought her to him were just as guilty. Not of the same sin, but of others. And I, I would even hazard to guess that their sin may have been even worse than hers. Jesus makes it clear to us that we ought to play a role of helping other believers toward holiness and righteousness and serving God and, and worshiping God. We ought to help each other along that path. He never, God at, at no point ever suggests that we should try to do it alone. Matter of fact, there's, there are warnings against trying to do it alone where we are commanded by, in Scripture to be together, that this is a, a communal relationship, not a, not a solitary, not a, not a lone wolf relationship. It's a communal one with God and with God's people. You can turn back to Matthew 7. You see, as Jesus talking about using this illustration of the eye, it's a great place to, to, to make this illustration because the eye is so delicate. 
It is so vulnerable to damage. Great care must be taken when attempting to remove something from the eye. You know how it is. Even if you see something coming towards your eye, what you, you, you're, you're, you will draw, you'll naturally, you're, instinctively, you will close your eye. It's because it, 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 your body is trying to protect this very delicate organ. Same thing is true when helping someone deal with their shortcomings. It must be handled very carefully. And it must be done the right way. It must be gentle, patient, delicate. And it must begin with love. Too often, judgment does not begin with love. Carnal judgment is not loving. It's not kind. It's not considerate. And it's usually not gentle. We must love that other person and have an overwhelming desire to see them grow in their faith, to draw nearer to God, to walk more closely with him, that that is our desire. I don't want to judge somebody because they're doing something wrong just so that I can, whoop, I get a, I get a point because I caught, I caught, you know, Gary in something. I caught him. I get credit for that. No, that's not what God wants. That's not godly. It's not right. We want to help them because God wants to help them. God loves them so much and whatever might be going on in their life, whatever weakness, whatever error, whatever um, you know, thing they don't know or understand about God, he wants, he wants them to get, get through that and to, and to be better, to be more like Christ. And they may not know how to do it. And so he may want us to play a part in that. He does want us to play a part in that. He wants us to help each other. Jesus ends with a verse that's often misapplied as well. Verse six, do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, one of the most common applications of this verse is about being careful who you share the gospel with. And, and, and it, is, it is a good application of that verse, but it's not the only application it's, and, and may not even be the most important application. We have to have discretion when we share the gospel. We have to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and when we share the gospel, we've got to be very careful. There's people who can share the gospel who will turn around and, and attack you. And, 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 and then you're, you're, you know, you, you're going to get me in trouble. Some might respond with hostility. You know, we, we saw a great example of that on Tuesday at that, at that school board meeting, of the, the hostility that people have toward good and righteousness. They're hostile toward it. And we're living in a world where that is intensifying. It doesn't mean we shouldn't share the gospel, but we need to be wise. We need to have discretion about when and how. You know, I was talking with somebody this morning, and, you know, we can, we can say something that is hard to hear. We can say it either in a way that makes them, you know, furious at us, or we can say it in a way that they, they at least acknowledge the fact that we love them. It's all about how we say it. We have to use discretion. We have to know how to say, what to say, and who to say it to. 
We have to be listening to the Holy Spirit. We have to know God's word well enough to know when and how to do that. But this verse goes further than that. You know, when we are ministering one to another, you know, one of the things that I've learned over a couple decades of ministry now, you can't always tell someone what they need to hear right now. Sometimes they're not ready to hear it. Sometimes they're, they're, they're so struggling in what's going on in their lives, they just, can't, they, they just can't hear it right now. And so we have to use that discretion to know when to say what to say. I have a, a friend who tragically lost his wife um, to cancer in a relatively youngish age, and he was mad. He was mad, angry at God. God had no right to take his wife. No right. He was mad at God. And very early on in my, in my relationship, because I was there when she, I was there right after she passed, and, and as God was ministering to me for him, to minister to him, I knew what he needed to hear. But God wouldn't give me permission. The Spirit wouldn't give me permission to say it. And, and this went on for, gosh, over a year of this guy just wrestling with God and mad at God and, and all of these things going on back and forth. And then, and then one day, it was literally in a church service, I'm in the back of the room, he's back there with me and he's, do, he's saying the same things that he said for the last year. And all of a sudden I hear God say, now, tell him now. And it was literally, okay, okay I'm about ready to go up and preach so I don't have time to give this guy, you know, the, the kind of attention that he needs. But God said, no, tell him now. And so I told him, I says, you're, you know, you, you don't believe God has the right to, to do whatever he wants in this world, including take your wife. And it was like this, like this all of a sudden, this revelation. Well, he, he just like said, you're absolutely right. And you know what? It changed for him just like that. It, that was the moment he needed to hear it. If I'd said it a year before that, how would he have responded? He would have turned and torn me in pieces because he was so mad at God. We have to be careful. We have to listen for the God to tell us. And those with a critical spirit wouldn't have done that. They would say, you lazy, wicked, what, what is the, where is your faith? That would have been a horrible thing to say to that man. The holy things of God are not always welcome not even with believers. And we need to understand that. The word of God is not always welcome to believers. Sometimes there's things in their life that they're just not ready to hear it. And we need to be sensitive enough to God to know when it is the right time to say what they need to hear. So how do you know when to share and when not to share? Well, it requires faith, it requires prayer, it requires listening for God to speak to you because he will. If you allow him to, you'll understand, you'll feel it, you'll sense it. It's not like, you know, you get a big billboard, you know, neon sign in front of you that says, okay, do it now. When I was talking to that man, I sensed what I believed was God speaking to me. And because I try to walk in faith, it's a good idea for the pastor to walk in faith, right? When I sensed it was time, I did. And you know what? How, you know how I know it was the right time? The way he responded. The fruit that came out of it was a changed man. 
as believers, we live as people who believe, this is how we should live, as people who believe God is truth and that every word that he's expressed is true and truth. We believe that. We know the power of the truth. What is the power of the truth? Freedom. John 8.36 tells us that, you know, who the Son sets free is free indeed. The, the power of the Word of God is radical. But just because you believe it doesn't mean that other believer believes it. And we have to be very sensitive to that. We walk in that freedom, and then what is our desire? Our desire is that others will walk in that freedom. The problem is if we have a judgmental spirit, we, we are going to condemn them because, well, I'm free. Why aren't you free? Why aren't you doing it like I do it? If you were, if you were a real believer in Jesus Christ, you would just do it. No. No. That's judging. That's, that is carnal judging. Even though you're putting a spiritual bent on it, it is carnal judging. Not everyone is ready to be free. For some people, it can take them a long time to be free. And what's our responsibility is to love them. Love them as long as it takes for them to get to that place and to do it with compassion, to do it with mercy, to do it with sensitivity to them. If the Spirit of God has not prepared them to be free, or they're not yielding themselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, then we just have to wait. Proverbs 23, 9 says this, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. There are times, and I say this regularly, there are times where the best thing you can say is nothing. Don't, don't speak just so that you can be heard. There are times where I know I'm talking to somebody and I can sense, you know what, they're not listening. They're not gonna hear me. And then I, then I, then I revert back to love. I'm just gonna love you. I'm gonna love you until you're ready to hear what God has to say to you. And when that time comes, and I, and I know one of the things I've, I've, it took me a while to figure this out, but I don't have to be the one to say it. You know what, God might use Laura to say it. Or even Larry. Wait for the Spirit to prompt you to speak and then speak. Judging is a part of the Christ follower's life. I was, I was talking about this with someone earlier. You know, that God calls us, He puts us in this, these relationships, and, and then He makes some of those relationships closer than others. And the closer the relationship you have with somebody, the more freedom you have to speak truth into their lives the more permission they give you to speak truth in their lives. The, the, more, the more open they are to allow you to look in their life and see good and evil, right and wrong, and it, and it gives you then the, the liberty and the responsibility to speak truth to them. But if you don't have that relationship, then God would say to you, okay, then you need to let that go. You know, you know when, when somebody, when we feel the temptation to judge, we've got to pause and ask ourselves, which side is this coming from, the flesh or the spirit? And you know what you ought to do with every time the flesh rises up and tells you to judge somebody? You gotta throw that thing away. 
You know, that person didn't do this. Okay, shut up, shut up brain, shut up flesh, and put that away. Let it go. I don't, I, I, you know, what do they mean by that? Let it go. Let it go. Too often we allow those things in, and it's like bringing a poison pill into our lives, and it, you know, it's like a radioactive pill. We take a radioactive pill, this thing that comes in, some perceived offense, we bring it in, it gets in our life, and just starts eating away at us. It eats away at our relationships with each other. It eats away at our relationship with God. You know what you do with that radioactive pill when it shows up? Whoop! Take every thought captive, the obedience of Christ, and those ones that are not Christ, you've got to get rid of them. Throw them away. I don't know what that person meant. Oh, okay. I don't know what they meant, so I'm going to let that go. And if I really need to know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask them. Hey, you said such and such? I'd like to talk to you about that. Because my perception is this, and I have a hard time believing that's what you meant by that. I know you. I know, what I know enough about you to know that that doesn't sound like something you would think or feel or believe. So can we talk about that? Get it out. Maybe there is a problem. And if there is a problem, what should we do about it? Reconcile? Forgive? We don't need to judge the world. God's already dealt with that. But we need to have a, a relationship with others that allows us to do that right judging, that spiritual judging to help them grow in their faith. But before we do that, before we look at the specks of other people's eyes, we got to be dealing with the beams in our own, the logs in our own. That means we need to be seeking God. We need to be allowing God to minister into our hearts and lives the truth of God, and we need to open ourselves up to the, to the ministry of others and say, hey, hey, look into my life. What do you see that I don't see? You know, you know there are things in our lives that we're blind to, right? If you put a log in your, in your eye, you can't see clearly, Right? And that's the way it is. We can't see everything in our lives. That's why we need to be together. That's why we need to be in community. That's why we need to have good, transparent, vulnerable relationships with others. I love my relationship with Randy because Randy and I, we have the freedom to speak truth into each other's lives. When Randy sees something in my life, and he does it pretty regularly because there's a lot to see, he tells me about it. He says something to me. I don't always agree with him. Because, you know, 75% of the time he's wrong. But no, I'm kidding. But the fact that we have the relationship, the freedom to speak into each other's lives. We have to let that happen. But we, every now, we need to regularly be getting good eye exams. You know, what, what is in me that might prevent me from seeing what is in you the way that I should? We've got to make sure our eyes are clear before we try to help someone. If we, and if we're, if we're not in that place, then we've we got, we got to be controlling the things that we see. And those things that we see or we think we're seeing, we need to be careful that, that many of those things are not correct. They're not right. They're not good. They're not holy. And we need to get rid of them. Listen, judgmental spirit is one of the main things They'll interfere with your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. And God wants us to get rid of it, especially in the church. And that's where people often will, will sense it most often. You know, that's a judging church. 
That should not be true. We should not be judging each other that way. Uh, uh, you know, that, <clears throat> that way where we're, every, every time we're getting together, we're, you know, we're throwing judgments across the room. No, no. You know what we should do when we get together? Love each other. <clears throat> I'm almost done. I need to stop. Yeah, I really need to stop. As we close, we need to remind ourselves of something. The world, the world, sadly, most of the world is racing toward destruction, toward judgment. And, and we play a role in the world to, to be salt and light. We've talked about that. We're called to be salt and light. And part of that process is the process of judging. We need to judge good from evil, right from wrong. And we need, we need to do that with each other, but we need to do it in a way that's right, that's holy, that's non-judgmental. We're, we don't want to be judgmental, but we want to play, we want to do the good work of judging so that, so that we can all grow in our faith. But before we do that, we've got to allow God to do that work inside of us, to humble us to help us to deal with the stuff that we're dragging around with us. And the reality, when we are, when we are uh, judging others, we're very often seeing our sin in them. And it doesn't look good. We don't like the way it looks. The world is, is racing toward a judgment. We need to remind ourselves that we, we don't fear that. We don't fear judgment. What we're looking forward to, I, I, I look forward to standing before Christ. I look forward to standing before him and, and, and him, you know, evaluating the works of my life. And I want every one of them to be good. And I know they're not all good. I know, I know there, there's still there's a work of the flesh. It still needs to work out of Rick. I know, I know that. We all know that. We, you know, if you know me, you know that. You know that we all have perfecting work that still needs to happen in all of us. But I want, all of, I want as many of my works to be good as possible. And that's what I look forward to. I don't worry about, I don't worry about the ones that are already passed. I've repented as many of them I know. I want every one I do from this moment on to be good. And one of the ways that I do that is I guard against judgmentalism in my heart. That when I look at you, when I talk to you, when I relate to you, I don't make judgments based on those things. When God calls me to play a role in your life to help you see something, then I, that's when I do that work. I don't do it automatically. It's gotta be something God leads me into. And that's the way that we should be. If you can't interact with people without thinking about what's so wrong with them, that's a problem. And we might need to do some work with God on that. All of us probably do. And so we're gonna end and we don't, we're, gonna, we're gonna take a moment and pray because we're just now over time, but I, I want all of us to take a moment and remind ourselves what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because when he died on the cross, he took our judgment away. And, and that's a precious and holy thing. So precious and holy that before we even think about judging, we put ourselves right there at the foot of the cross and recognize that all of our sins are nailed right there. All of our weaknesses, all of our failings. And before I even think about looking at another person's weaknesses and failings and sins, I'm, I am doing some serious work right there at the foot of the cross.
So let's pray. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you for your presence here today. And as we've taken this time to look at this very serious topic, Lord, I, I ask, Lord God, that you would minister to each of our hearts and, and help us to do what I, what I just um, pictured, Lord, in words, the idea of putting ourselves at the foot of the cross and looking up into your eyes and seeing what you did for us, that you died for our sins and you, you took our judgment and that we should treat the judging of others as a, as, a, as a holy thing. That we should not allow the flesh to play any part in that. And then we catch ourselves looking at people and judging them based on the way that they look, based on, based on the way that they talk, based on the things that they do, that we, we, we control that and recognize that, that it's not our place to judge them except when you direct us to do it. Too often we do it too naturally, too quickly. It just happens. And so I pray, Lord, that we would take every thought captive and we see those things, those faults, those weaknesses that we, we first look at ourselves. That where can I see those things in me? And then we lay ourselves down at the foot of the cross and we repent of those things. And we ask you to forgive us of those things. And then we ask you, if 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 you would have us to play a role in that person's life. And if not, we let it go. We trust them into your hands, knowing that you love them more than we, than we possibly can, that you have a plan for them. You have a way that you're gonna bring them out of whatever that weakness is, if it's even there, if it's just, it may be just perceived on our part. But Lord God, you're gonna do that. And until you tell us to play a role in it, we're gonna let them be your kid and not, not try to take that responsibility onto ourselves. I ask, Lord God, for an outpouring of your spirit upon your people, that, Lord God, if we have been judgmental, you would help us to repent of that right this moment. You would help us to lay ourselves down and to take our eyes off of them and put our eyes on you, that we might worship you and serve you, love you, and then in turn, turn and love them, serve them as you would call us to. I ask, Lord God, that you would minister to your people today. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Fathers, happy Father's Day. If we can... Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word PRAY to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give, or text the word GIVE to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.